Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 5th, 2017. Now just like last week, I should remind you that there are other sites that uh, you should really be looking at because the comm site has been having some problems and you should always have a list of the other alternate sites that you can use if you have any problems with the comm. And that hopefully should be over and fixed pretty soon, the whole problem. It's been an awful mess. But anyway, we're going through amazing changes, aren't we? As the big world agenda continues, regardless of the media, because uh, after all, you know, the, the real masters of the world don't just drop all their long laid plans uh, because uh, someone appears to be upsetting the apple cart in one country. Uh, they'll, they'll dig their heels in, they'll change things. And of course, too, they always get what they want. That's, just, that's what I've always noticed in my lifetime. And you'll see more and more of this as you, you go through life, that they truly are world masters, regardless of voters. And they always get richer, and, uh, and money is used as a tool to control all the rest of the people, obviously. But tonight, I'm going to touch on some things that aren't getting mentioned and are kept pretty well low-key. And there's darn good reasons for it because uh, you're going into the world government. They're even dropping the term governance when it suits them to acclimatize the occasional person that might notice it uh, into the word government for a change, which it always really was. And I've read articles going back years and years and years from different organizations all working together to bring in world government going back as even to the days and before H.G. Wells, in fact, he also mentioned it too in the Fabian Society. This simply was a left-wing branch to get all the workers going along the right path by nudging them all and getting their will given over to the Fabian Society to be led by the nose, like everybody else, uh, by the top bankers that still run the world today, the ones behind the scenes. And when I say bankers, they own all the banks, they don't work in them. And they don't even do any uh, basic <laughs> mathematics. Uh, they have lots and lots of tiers and layers of real banks and so on to manage all that for them. That's how the world was really run. The world itself is a business. Each nation is a business. And with, uh, with amalgamations of Europe, for instance, all the countries into one big amalgamate, uh, you have a government there, one government running it all there. It's much easier for the for the masters to do it that way. Less trouble and less less uh, having to wait around while different um, uh, parties manipulate their peoples in different countries. And uh, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You see it's best if them all under one government and then you just order them from there and they all follow suit. It's quite simple, isn't it? So once you have a world government, it's even easier. And of course, the goal was always to have three different... Uh, uh, parliament, you might call it, for the free trading blocks of the world, as they amalgamate all the nations together into the free trading blocks and then under one supreme global government. That was always the agenda. Karl Marx wanted it. The Fabians wanted it. Um, the top right-wing boys all wanted it. Uh, so it's just one agenda run by one group that runs all, all, the, all the sides of everything pretty well. Now, this article here, is it's quite interesting actually, and it was on some of the medias a while back about India and 
being forced into the cashless society, really forced by law and decree. And it says, in early November, without warning, the Indian government declared the two largest denomination of, of bills as money bills invalid. So that the top bills, the top, uh, the largest bills were made invalid, abolishing over 80% of circulating cash by value. Amidst all the commotion and outrage, this caused nobody seems to have taken notes of the decisive role that Washington played in this. Uh, that is surprising, as Washington's role has been disguised only very superficially. Uh, President Barack Obama declared when he was in the strategic partnership with India a priority, as he declared it was going to be, of his foreign policy. And China needs to be re- reined in. In the context of this partnership, the U.S. government's development agency called USAID, U-S-A-I-D, has negotiated cooperation agreements with the Indian Ministry of Finance. In other words, you say it is just a, a big arm, a big, a very powerful arm, actually, of the, the American government uh, on behalf of the big bankers and all the rest of them, the guys that really run the world, the, above the bankers even. But it said, um, you said it's nego- negotiated cooperation agreements with the Indian Ministry of Finance. One of these has the declared goal to push back the use of cash in favor of digital payments in India and globally. See, everything has, I mean, you're all being monitored. Most folk don't mind that they're getting monitored completely in their lives, and they don't even think about it anymore. And it's very true, all the studies that were done for a, a while back, if you don't see yourself being monitored personally, then you, you'll behave as though you were not at all. And everybody that's got their, their little phones and all the rest of it are being monitored completely. And their masters are awfully happy that uh, for centuries, people, generations of folk, rebelled and protested to get privacy. And this, this generation's given it all away quite happily. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Quite a trick. And that tells you that Bertrand Russell was quite right with the right techniques of psychology. Now they have neuroscience and all the other things added on to it and behaviorist uh, uh, manipulation. There's nothing they can't do. Isn't that a sad statement? Eh? But there's nothing they can't do. Where, where, for all the things that, that generations fought to get pri- peace and privacy, uh, no, they've got all every agency in the world inside their home coming in and out all the time uh, to see what they're up to, and they don't mind that, that they're gone. That, that's a that's a society that literally is gone. Anyway, so on November the 8th, the Indian Prime Minister uh, Narendra Modi announced that the two largest nominations of the banknotes could not be used for payments anymore with almost immediate effect. Owners could only recoup their value by putting them into a bank account before the short grace period expired. There's choice for you, eh? The amount of cash that banks were allowed to pay out to individual customers was severely restricted. Almost half of Indians have no bank account, and many don't even have a bank nearby. The economy is largely cash-based. Thus, a severe shortage of cash ensued, naturally. Those who suffered the most were the poorest, the most vulnerable. Well, they don't matter. We don't matter in our country either if you're poor and vulnerable. Uh, and that's the new world order, you see. Uh, it says, anyway, they had additional difficulty earning their meagre living in the informal sector or paying for essential goods and services like food, medicine, or hospitals. Chaos and fraud reigned well into December. 
And it says that um, not even four weeks before this assault on Indians, the USAID had announced the establishment of Catalyst, uh, including cashless payment partnership with a goal of effective, a quantum, I love the word quantum, snuck into everything, leap into cashless payments in India. The press statement of October the 14th says that Catalyst marks the next phase of partnership between USAID and the Ministry of Finance to facilitate universal financial inclusion. I tell you, there have been awful lot of payoffs too to high officials in India from the US in that one. The statement does not show up in the list of press statements on the website of USAID anymore. Amazing how they just, again, we live in the Orwellian age where things just disappear, eh? I said, not even filtering statements with the word India would bring it up. To find it, you seem to have to know it exists or stumble upon it in a web search. Indeed, uh, this and other statements, which seemed rather boring before, have become a lot more interesting and revealing after November the 8th. Reading the statements with highlight, it becomes obvious that Catalyst and Partnership of USAID and the Indian Ministry of Finance, from which Catalyst Org originated, a little more than uh, fronts which were used, and that's what they are, the Catalyst is just a front, to be uh, able to prepare the assault on all Indians using cash without arousing undue suspicion. That's how they treat us too, with everything, too, news and everything else. Uh, You know, don't spook the people, basically. Even the name Catalyst sounds a lot more ominous since once you know what happened on November the 9th. Catalyst Director of Project Incubation is Alok Gupta, who used to be the Chief Operating Officer of the World Resources Institute in Washington, which has USAID as one of its main sponsors. He was also an original member of the team that developed uh, ADAR, Big Brother-like Biometric Identification System. It's so great how the masters that make our chains, which we pay for, of course, uh, are, are really hard at work to enslave us even more and more and more and more and more. You see, they're using different countries as test bases for everything. Each country that they've, they've chosen is, is specifically being watched in studies in different different areas. India, cash is one of the thing. Scotland, it's a manipulation of well-being. You get poorer and poorer, but they'll do their fake studies saying, well, Bob, it's so much percentage say they're actually feeling pretty good, then that, that, that's much better. Who cares if you're poor as long as you feel good about it, you know? We're in an age of incredible manipulation. And in Scotland, too, of course, we're even going into their, uh, their Gerfia, which is the same as Gerfec, only for adults where government sponsors will, or government agencies, basically, will be assigning an agent to every adult in the country to monitor them on a, on a very frequent basis to make sure you've got the right views and opinions about everything that's politically correct. And if not, I guess they send you into the one of the Orwellian uh, ministries of love or something to tweak you, you know, to make sure you get it right. And I'm not kidding you about this. This is the system we're living in. Now back to this article, and it says, um, it says that uh, reading the statements at the it becomes obvious. And it says, uh, Catalyst Director of Produce Incubation is Alec Gupta. And according to a report, the Indian Economic Times USAID has committed to finance Catalyst for three years. And amounts are kept secret. So there's your deals. Whole nations and how the folk live and work and, and what their money is, is all kept secret. There's your new world order right there, folks. Right there. 
Everything's secret. Any truth is highly secret. You're getting lots of, of really fake news, as we well know, but, but anything that really matters is secret. And you think you're living in democracies. Get your heads examined. Hmm? Go and do it. Now we'll go into a series of different stories put out there about the same thing. And to show you that what I've been talking about for years and years and years is all just being verified now, rather openly, now that everybody's brain dead, or that they think that freedom is the right to wear pants in the morning and a dress in the afternoon. That's really what they've been taught to believe. It's quite amazing, isn't it? The, the, the manipulation of the mind that's going on right now. Really amazing. And the folk can't figure that out. Is their whole way of life, uh, their ability to, to, to work and save or feed themselves or even heat themselves in countries like Canada has been taken away from them. Yeah, isn't that clever, eh? Beyond sci-fi, isn't it? Now, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and Dubai, remember that the IMF is a private organization run by the big banking boys, the top bankers on the planet, right? To lend money out. Anyway, and Dubai to host a fintech seminar at World Government Summit. Yep, Government Summit. Not, not Governance Summit, but Government Summit. Now, that's how it's been floated out there to get the idea out to see probably what the feedback is. And I'm sure there'll be a, a snore as folk are distracted by the Super Bowl and other things and, and so on and so on. And it says uh, the IMF is partnering with Dubai's Ministry of Finance to co-host a fintech seminar during the 5th World Government Summit that will take place in Dubai between February 12 to 14, 2017. Blockchain technology will be a key discussion point during the panel. Well, they always tell you what what the nonsense that they're going to talk about because they they don't ever tell you what they really do talk about. A technology that Dubai's government has given full support to through its 2020 plan. And again, it's all done through the private organizations. All of these organizations, your IMF, your OECD, uh, your world government idea, uh, all these things that are drafted up, even your free trade agreements are all drafted up by a private organization called the Royal Institute for International Affairs with its American branch called the Council on Foreign Relations. And you don't vote for them, folks. And they run all of this stuff. And they plan the world governments and all the rest of it. And isn't it amazing it's never mentioned? Mind you, they will eventually, when everybody is so screwed up with all the the fake things they're told to get angry about and to fight each other over, rather than what they should be fighting about, the real, real causes of misery has coming down the pike fast. And it says... um, the panel on fintech will feature the IMF's Christine Lagarde, naturally, as well as Luxembourg's Minister of Finance, Pierre uh, Gramegna, and the United Arab Emirates Minister of State for Financial Affairs, Obaid uh, Humaid Altair. The seminar will cover a number of important topics, including uh, virtual currencies. We'll be right back into virtual currencies, you see, just like India, the test base. And the underlying, you see, understand that all these private organizations, which all run under one umbrella, 
is a central pole holding an umbrella up that's the real boss. Uh, they're all private organizations hmm? who always plan the future that we all have to follow along and they keep quiet about it. But they do it all. They're in charge regardless of who you vote for. Anyway, virtual currencies and the underlying uh, distributed uh, ledgers through blockchain technology, which means nothing to anybody. These topics have been at the center of recent debates about how digital innovation changes financial fields. The seminar will also cover oft-referred to topic within the fintech sector of balancing regulation and ensuring room for innovation. I guess that's to plunder us even more and to control the public even more. The seminar will discuss both the challenges and opportunities derived from fintech services and the importance for regulatory authorities to keep up with the technological changes. It's also important to find balance between risk, treatment, and the misuse of technology to avoid over-regulation, which may limit innovation, etc., etc. And uh, I'll put the, all these links that I mentioned, all these topics, I'll put the links up for you at cuttingthroughmedies.com and .net, etc., etc. And as I say, you should go into them and make sure that there's a good list, because believe you me, I am getting a lot of problems, ham- getting hammered from different areas as they try to shut me down. Or stop me even uploading. It's all by design, folks. And it's quite amazing how much stuff I really, really do have up here. But, uh, but as I say, uh, one thing at a time, unfortunately. And then don't let incumbents hog the blockchain. Again, the blockchain. Here's how they float the ideas out, the words, you see. The new, the new terminology that you're supposed to just grab a hold of. New report urges regulators and policymakers. So they want regulators, you see, and policymakers. The last article, you think, no, they didn't want them. And it says, um, blockchain technology expected to have an impact on our daily lives. That some have declared as significant as the advent of the internet. And a new report from the CD, Howe Institute, is urging regulators and policymakers to ensure the benefits are shared by the economy as a whole. Well, it depends who owns the economy. One of the basic benefits of distributed electronic ledgers at the heart of blockchain is that they remove the need for a centralized third-party intermediary in transactions including contracts and agreements. Yet some regulation is necessary, uh, argues uh, Thorson Koppel uh, and Jeremy Kronick, authors of the C.D. Howe paper. Koppel, uh, an associate professor at Queen's University in Kronick, senior policy analyst at the C.D. Howe Institute, contend that principle-based regulation should be applied in part to ensure the technology leads to appropriate cost savings for the end user. Well, that'll be the day, eh? That'll be the day, folks. And the alternative would be redistribution of above-normal profits. (laughs) What does that mean? Among the former intermediaries, they say in the paper, which notes uh, that the principle-based methodology the authors recommend was used to create rules and regulations for the Internet in the 1990s. So moving forward, I always love this moving forward stuff. Policymakers have to be vigilant to ensure that blockchains are not used to reshuffle rents at the expense of users. Uh, while the last point is not a problem on openly distributed or public ledgers, private ledgers are also being developed where only authorized participants have direct access. Uh, 
Now, this is supposed to be going to uh, affect everybody, and it's incredibly significant, just like the, the introduction of the internet was. And yet, they make it so... They're obviously not going to tell you what it really all means. Hmm? Are they? <laughs> In any simple language. So, they don't want everybody, because obviously, they don't want a fuss. Big boys are good at this, of not creating a fuss, because no one knows what they're talking about till it's, till it's all done. And, uh, and here again, they want governments to act as either a facilitator for a private or public distributed ledger, or as a direct central node that retains the monopoly of managing the ledger. That's called fascism, when government and private corporations rule our lives. If you don't know that, you see, that's just actually what it is. That's the proper definition of fascism. But it doesn't matter, you're certainly in it, and uh, the big boys are in charge. And it says, according to the note, the World Economic Forum has reported that more than 1.3 billion US dollars has been invested in blockchain over the past three years. Well, and you're, you're just hearing about it now, and you still don't know what it means. With more than 90 companies involved in trying to develop applications for the technology. And that's something, me. Eh? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> but it's all for the big boys. It's not for you. Not for you at all. And that's always the way of it, really. You know. And this article here, again, World Government Summit to be organized in Dubai between 12th and 14th, it says here. And I'll put all these links up as I say. So it's amazing what really is happening. It really is, isn't it? Now, another article here, too, is to do with the CRTC establishes fund to attain new high-speed internet targets. Now, I've heard this for years and years and years. And this is about Canada, I believe, you know. The Canadian Radio Television Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC, de- declared that broadband access internet service is now considered a basic telecommunications service for all Canadians. The CRTC is also setting ambitious new speed targets and creating a new fund that will invest up to $750 million of the taxpayers' money over and above existing government programs. So once again, you see, this money really will just go to the big corporations, your tax money, the public-private deal, where we pay for everything and build their businesses for them and create and get all set up and running, and they just collect the profits. But it's also to obviously manage all of us as well. And I mean manage us all, obviously. And it says that uh, further to its uh, legislative mandate, the CRTC has set the following targets for the basic telecommunications service that Canadians need to participate in the digital economy. See how it's all to do with this. Really, it's a cashless society. It all ties in with the last articles I've been reading here. And then it says they want speeds of 50 megabits per second download and 10 megabits per second upload for fixed broadband and internet access services an unlimited data option for fixed broadband access services, and the latest mobile wireless technology available not only in homes and businesses, but also amongst major Canadian roads, along the whole roads, actually. But again, that's part of the, the spy network, too. And also you can switch your cars off or make it do a Diana into the nearest uh, pole, I guess, you know, uh, if you've been a nuisance. But isn't it amazing how it's all tied in, say, with digital economy, etc., and spying on the public? Because believe you me, 
if they do, how are they going to manage this when Canada has got nothing but very, very obvious monopolies for everything? And and it's amazing you go from one monopoly organization to the next monopoly organization for speeds and services if you live in the country. And it's amazing how what they give you always works out to be pretty well the same. There's no competition. So you've got you've got a cartel of monopolies all agreeing to fix and rig prices. Now, how are they going to give you a better service if it's all rigged and fixed by the corporations with the collusion in the government? But the government now wants about $750 million uh, to, to improve the service. Who's kidding who? Hmm? Uh, so anyway, it wants the $750 million over the first five years and be complementary to existing and future private investment and public funding. Focus on underserved uh, areas, I'd be like where I am, I suppose. I, I pay through the nose for it. Be managed at arm's length by a third party. Well, I wouldn't want to be managed by third parties anyway. And the CRTC wants Canadians to have access to the tools and the services they need to empower themselves. Oh, I love this empowerment nonsense. Regarding fixed internet access services, no later than six months from today, service providers should ensure that contracts are written in clear. So they're going to, there's, there's how they fix it. You need clear and plain language and should make available online tools so consumers can easily manage their data usage. So that's how you, what you're going to get out your $750 million. Uh, more information about how much bandwidth you're using and how it affects how you're getting charged. That's, that's pretty well. It's not beautiful. Also, all wireless service providers will have to offer and publicize, no later than six months from today, mobile service packages that meet the needs of Canadians with disabilities. Oh, the path forward. Here we go forward again. Uh, during his consultation with Canadians, the CRTC also identified further gaps regarding the adoption of broadband internet service in Canada that are outside of its mandate, or its core mandate. They're submitting a report to the Innovations Agenda, as encouraged by the Minister of Innovation, Science and Economic Development Canada, on the availability and adoption of broadband internet services in Canada. This report includes information on access gaps resulting from infrastructure affordability and digital literacy issues, as well as barriers to connectivity and indigenous communities. It's, it's, it's quite amazing, uh, the gobbledygook they give you. Mind you, we give awfully expensive gobbledygook in Canada. They put some work into it to, to really confuse you. But, um, but uh, you've got to hand it to them, never stop. You know, they don't give up. They keep confusing you. Because they've been telling us this stuff for years and years and years, and that the prices go up and up and up and up. And as they deregulate stuff, the prices, strange enough, always stay the same, no matter who you go with for your internet access and so on. And if you live in the community, uh, rural communities, and not that rural either, not that far away from cities, uh, they really, really just ring out your nose. They tap your head as well to get the last little drop out. And, uh, and you don't get fast anything. I say I don't. But there you go. And see, the idea, too, under 2030 and, and all their, their, their Agenda 21 programs is to get you off the rural areas. It's going to tax you for every uh, joule of uh, heat, you know, that you actually uh, create or use to, to keep yourself alive in the winter. And, uh, and any high speed will only be in existing cities only. So there you go. It's all a racket for the big boys. And no doubt, too, be more tapping in by different agencies as they share them, or even sell them off uh, access to different agencies across the world. Who knows? I mean, why not, you know? 
It seems to be the way everybody's in. Everybody likes to fill their pockets. This seems to work for, for our, on our behalf. You notice that? They get richer and richer and all helping us. Yep. And another article, too, on world government. Um, and this one is from uh, the Economic Times. Uh, seeing what I've already said about the Global Government Summit. I'll also put a link up to Wikipedia, it's right in there too. World Government Summit. Not governance, but government summit, you see. And uh, and they don't ask the public about anything. No, no, it's just done, you see. No doubt they'll be able to stack your money going into it, of course, to make sure all the right folk are flown over there, you know, to create global warming and, the, and pollute the atmosphere as they do it so that you can... You know, travel less and less because you're apparently the polluter, not them. Uh, that's the way things work, isn't it? Because all a racket and a con, of course, the whole global warming nonsense. But that's also been discussed with them too, how they can manage all this stuff, uh, with the climate change, etc., etc. And speaking of climate change, the Carnegie Trust and Foundation, it's all, again, works with all the other big foundations because it's really all just one club. With the same world agenda, you see. They're actually into the climate geoengineering idea. And they say that, uh, he's, which they've been doing steadily in, in Canada since 1998, pretty well daily, spraying us like bugs. The long-term objective of the Carnegie Climate uh, Geoengineering Governance Initiative, isn't that wonderful? Is to encourage dialogues on, on and to develop governance frameworks for climate geoengineering. So this private organization wants to, to, to set up the, the framework to discuss it all. Like, don't talk about it, keep it secret, I suppose. That's how I've been doing it up until now. Anyway, climate geoengineering is defined as deliberate, uh, intentional, planetary-scale interventions in the Earth system to counteract climate change. Well, that's one thing. It can also be used for warfare on the general public as the death rate goes up for a whole bunch of things. And never mind the asthma and the allergies and everything else going up. And also um, the, the chronic fatigue syndromes, etc., etc. Uh, there's a lot of fallout from this stuff, which they've been doing, since they say, for 1998 continuously. There's increasing interest in CGE, uh, geoengineering, you know, as a mitigation challenge of staying well below 2 degrees Celsius temperature rise let alone 1.5 degrees. It's all gobbledygook because they can't even measure the up and down. It's all done in averages and so on. Becomes more. And the foreseeable future governments or even non-state actors could turn to CGE options, that's the geoengineering, as a last resort or as by means to buy time. Yet there's considerable lack of understanding uh, of the governance requirements for CGE. Furthermore, no comprehensive governance framework exists for addressing the CGE. Technology that fun- fundamentally require multilateral governance approaches. Isn't it amazing? Everything that they're already doing, they always pretend that they want to do, isn't it? Well, they have annual meetings every year with the top scientists that, that, that deal with geoengineering, and they tongue-in-cheek say, if we were to do this, you know, there'd be a lot of fallout amongst the public and so on. Chuckle, 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 tee-hee-hee. I tell you, it'd be nice to have a, re- a reality Life, isn't it? Where, where everything that you see and understand in the world is real. Hmm? Rather than this fake, bogus, indoctrinated nonsense 
that's stuffed into us all by the, the front men called professionals, the front actors. It says, uh, there is hence an urgent need for a broad, inclusive global governance discussion regarding the research, possible testing and, de- and deployment of decision-making processes for the CGE technologies that have significant long-term and planetary-wide consequences for this fut- and future generations. I'll tell you that one of the comical things, too, is comical in a, in a very um, dangerous sort of way. Uh, two or three years ago, I read, uh, and I talked about it, to an audience that the the big geoengineering boys at their annual summit said if they were to stop geoengineering, if they ever started doing it, if they were to suddenly stop it, the climate uh, would be going to chaos as it tried to rectify itself. It could take years to, to rectify itself. If they ever started it, mind you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, and folk think they're free, eh? And uh, but I'm going to put this up uh, as well tonight, and some PDFs and different things for you too, if you care about it. Most folk don't care; they're more into Super Bowl or uh, what the latest argument is between rival factions that are all fighting over skirmishes of who should be to get the top victim status. In uh, anything at all, from ethnic groups to to, to sexuality, is quite something what, what they've done to the public, isn't? Isn't it really clever? You gotta admit it. It's clever. It's and it's awfully effective. I mean, you'd swear that, that Dustin Hoffman and all the guys that did the movie Wag the Dog are giving us all of our reality right now. And I tell you, if you haven't seen that movie, you should. It's, it should be taught in school. Because it really does show up the kind of trickery and the techniques that are used upon the public and how it works so well. Really. Now, the Carnegie Trust, isn't there so many, many aspects, so many aspects here. Again, you don't vote for these private organizations. They pretend they're charitable institutions, but they're think tanks and they're and they're, all the professors pop in and out and all the rest of it. They belong to other private organizations. They plan your future. Hmm. And it says, uh, blogs, the word on well-being. Now, well-being, I've given talks about that in the past, going to cuttingthroughmates.com or net or different ones I've got there. And you'll, you, you can look in the archive section. There's years and years and years of information there and talks I've given. And you can find the ones on well-being. Because I went through them all in great detail how they, they'll train us all to be quite happy, even if we're mucking out barns or, or pigsties or something. As long as we're happy with a silly grin in our face, you know, up to our knees and muck, we'll be quite, we're quite happy with different drugs and techniques. And they've discussed this, by the way. I don't know if they mention it here. They're very clever in what they do. But they've actually discussed ways of keeping the people happy. I mean, anything from electromagnetic waves from their technotronic era, uh, to, to mixes of various pharmaceutical drugs. Because apparently the whole thing is just to be happy. Remember what, what Aldous Huxley said when he talked in an interview with, with Wallace on television. He says, well, he says it's possible a small group with an understanding of scientific techniques could take over 
whole nations, he said. Uh, and have the people do things which perhaps for their own benefit they shouldn't be doing. What he meant was for their own real well-being. Because these characters here, they're, they're, they're really mucking with our, our minds continuously, don't have the best interests at heart. And anything that robs you of number one truth and facts is rather evil. I'd, I'd say is evil. Yeah. Definitely negative. If you prefer that term, it's up to you. But it certainly is. If you're robbed of the ability to get facts, facts, not guesses or someone's opinion, but actual facts, if you're robbed of that under various guises, oh, it's in the national interest or whatever it happens to be, then you're not living in any kind of democracy of, of any kind at all. You better understand that. You're living in Huxley's scientific dictatorship. And folk are, honestly. Almost everybody out there is in and under this spell. And they use all these private foundations like the Carnegie Trust. So here you get it again. The Carnegie Trust UK is working with in partnership with Involve. And the UK, again, is used as a guinea pig for testing it all out. We'll be investigating how data sharing can be harnessed for the public good. In other words, taking all your data and all the government agencies and their third-party agencies can all get access to all your data and everybody's data, you see, for the public good. It's not totalitarian. It's for the public good. While addressing legitimate concerns about individual privacy and data security, they can, they can say... We've got to make sure there's privacy and for individuals. The past decade has seen an explosion in the amount of data produced and used. One of the promises of the new data economy is that the public will pay less for more tailored products and services. The day you pay less for tailored products and services, they'll give you something that would, a suit that would fit a midget. The data economy doesn't only promise these benefits to the products and services that benefit uh, that business offers. Government could also reap similar savings and provide more relevant services for citizens. It's all for your good, you understand. If it shares data about citizens more effectively, with whom? doesn't tell you. However, the amount of personal data we now generate and that is held about us inevitably raises legitimate concerns about individual privacy and data security, for example. This is particularly true when it comes to personal data being shared between different government departments. Mm-hmm. A result of these concerns can be strong opposition to many attempts by government to share citizen data. At a national level, each time the government has brought legislation to Parliament to create a more flexible framework for sharing data, it has been rejected by members of Parliament because they don't feel these concerns have been fully addressed. Similar attempts to develop frameworks and, and processes at local levels have also regularly run into opposition and often fail too. But this is the same technique with the big boys, with the masters want, they get it's like when they gave the, 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 the right or the vote to, to, to initially join the EU, they kept saying no, 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 no each time they got it. So they come back till you get it right. You see, that's how they do it. Same, same with this kind of thing. So if anybody has really legitimate concerns about it, and they don't think, think they've been fully addressed, they just come back again and tell you it'd be good for you. 
The failure to develop national and local data sharing frameworks has meant that thousands of individual data gateways, or we've got gateways as well as blocking tackles, have been created to share personal data with the aim of making services more effective and efficient. So it's gateways. Ay, ay, ay. Well, I wish to give us some stargates so we can get off this darn planet away from this place and get some peace. It says, while these gateways provide a legal route for such data sharing, they lack transparency. Citizens, even government bodies at all levels, are often unaware that they exist and there continue to be significant procedural and cultural barriers to legal data sharing. It's cultural as well. Some, some cultures just don't like having, having snoops into every thing that they're doing. You know? They have this old-fashioned idea that ancestors, and not that long ago, fought through generations to get what was called privacy. And who needs this silly, cumbersome thing? It's awfully, it really is worrying, isn't it? Having privacy to deal with. What a burden to carry around with you, privacy. We are therefore delighted to announce a major new partnership between the Carnegie UK Trust and Involve, again, the private corporations and um, the private you know, charitable foundations that invest millions and billions of dollars and pounds and get profits and everything, but they put it through a trust and say it's charitable. And all their big boys that work there can give themselves whatever salary they want because even when you're working with a charitable organization, you can give yourself a million or even five million dollars a year if you want. It's quite legal. Not bad, eh? What we'll be working together in three local authority areas is to build a better understanding of how different groups, government, civil society, and advocacy groups. Now, what is an advocacy group? Eh? Like lobbyists, maybe? Make sense of and balance the trade-offs inherent in data sharing, especially between public and individual benefit, privacy, and security. The project builds on recent work by both Involve, the private group, and again, the private charitable trust, Carnegie. This has got your best interests at heart, you know. Specifically, I work with the cabinet office. Well, they work with your government. You can't work your brigade, but they can work with your government, like a lobby group, on the better use of data open policy project. Did you know that exists? You didn't know that, did you? The better use of data open policy process. And Carnegie on the Fairer Fife Commission. They use Fife in Scotland for a test group, I guess. The first of these was a two-year open policy-making process to try to make progress in data sharing in three areas of proposed government legislation called fraud and error. I guess, is it looking at the government being fraudulent or what? Targeted public services and research and statistics. They're always doing statistics. There are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics that are meant to confuse things with, 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 with the appearance of a kind of superficial science. That's how they con you with that one. Uh, this was coordinated by Involve on behalf of the Cabinet Office. Your government works with them all, so it's all planned. It's all planned, and you have to go along with it. The Digital Economy Bill. Oh, my goodness, what a coincidence. Digital Economy Bill. And there's a link for that too, you can look that up, but I'll just fall, in, fall right into the cashless society, which is currently passing through Parliament, contains the provisions to turn these proposals into law. Isn't that wonderful that all your laws come from private corporations uh, that are just passed to government uh, along with these so-called pre- pretended <laughs> um, uh, charitable organisations? I've given so many talks on these things over years, I'm so sick of it, to be honest with you. 
Because folks still go and vote and think, think they're running their own lives. An important strand of the discussion during this process was around how best to achieve the balance highlighted above. What balance? While significant progress was made, the discussions involved a smaller number of civil society organizations. Well, were you, did you hear about that? Were you a member of these civil society organizations? That's how they always do it, eh? Well, you know, the members of the public were present through civil society organizations. You know, the non-governmental organizations, the big foundations actually run. <laughs> they own them and run them. <laughs> and focused around three relatively narrow areas of public policy. In addition, although the bill will, if passed by Parliament, which it, no doubt it will, because the public don't even know about it, provide for some data sharing between government departments and will not, by itself, resolve the complex set of trade-offs between public benefit, privacy and security. So it's not going to help privacy, security or anything else. The Fife Commission's uh, final report highlights the need for rich data, what's evidence rich that they get off the public, and knowledge-driven responses to public policy challenges. If found, however, uh, that although Fife is extremely uh, data-rich, much needs to be done to use the data that exists to inform service planning and delivery. Again, one important barrier to this is the tension shared by elected representatives, providers and civil society between a desire to share data across departments or providers in order to improve services with yet to address concerns about how privacy and data security can be adequately protected. Well, you can protect it by getting your noses out of people's businesses, their lives and everything else. That's always been what our predecessors knew. They all knew that naturally, instinctively. You're either an owned farm animal where the farmer knows all about you, because that's what farmers do with their animals, the livestock. They, they can tell you the genealogies of their livestock. Everything's very important to the farmer. So you can be a good farm animal, or you can be an individual human being a so- who's got a right to live and have privacy and peace and quiet. Or it can be managed totally from the cradle to the grave by government agencies and departments. And eventually you'll get the euthanasia pill when you get sick. Just die off and go away and, and don't be a burden on society that you've been paying into your whole darn life. Everything, everything is a con game for something else. That's the bottom line. That's what it is. Everything's a con game. I'm telling you. Now, here's another article that ties in, again, very cleverly though, cleverly with the cashless system worldwide and the total monitoring of everybody, even further worldwide. All the, all the, all the herd animals, that's all of us. And this is from the EU, the European Union Commission, that, you know, the private organization that runs the whole of the European Parliament, the unelected body at the top, it's not elected by the public at least, uh, it's very secretive, in fact. And here you have inception impact assessment. It means nothing to the general public. That's why they make the title things like that. It's for the general public, don't look into anything because it doesn't mean anything to them. This is aims to inform stakeholders about the Commission's work in order to allow them to provide feedback on the intended initiative and to participate effectively in future con- consultation activities. Stakeholders are in particular invited to provide views on the Commission's understanding of the problem, what problem, and possible solutions to make available any relevant information they may have, etc., etc. Now, here it says, 
The Commission public, published on uh, February the 2nd, 2016, and the looking back, you see, this is this, is this year, uh, this article here, a communication to the Council and Parliament or an action plan to further step up the fight against the financing of terrorism. So it's about financing of terrorism. Who's kidding who, eh? <laughs> Isn't terrorism awfully handy when you've got so many different uh, agendas to fulfill and get through on the, you know? The action plan uh, builds on existing EU rules to adapt to new threats and aims at updating EU policies in line with international standards. In the context of the Commission's action to extend the scope of the regulation on the controls of cash entering or leaving the community, remember that word cash again, folks, for a cashless society. This coincidence, of course, references made to the appropriateness to explore the relevance of potential upper limits to cash payments. The action plan states that the payments in cash are widely used in the financing of terrorist activities. <laughs> it's amusing what flashed my mind there. I was thinking of Halliburton when they went into Iraq, and there was a big group, of course, that all the big boys, the, the neocons of that day, supposed to day, this day, uh, were involved in. You know, uh, Rumsfeld and all the rest of them, and Cheney were had all, or was kind of involved, involved apparently with the same organization. And and there's a documentary out, it's awfully good, about uh, all the contracts for so-called rebuilding everything in Iraq, which never happened, and to, to build up the things too for all the businesses that would be involved in the oil industry, etc., that would go over to Iraq, to plunder all. And also to supposedly, which never really happened properly either, to give the troops at least decent water to drink over there. They were given multi-millions of brand new dollar notes that are flown in. You'll see it on the documentary if you want to look for the thing. And uh, and they were just handed it. No receipts, nothing. Just brand new, tra- just, just crates of them. <laughs> I mean, uh, these these platforms that they're all stacked on, that you'll see these front-end loaders picking them up. and That's what, that's what they, they flew in there. No receipts, nothing. And here, and this is the government, right? Now here's, and here's what they're prattling on about here. They're going to put in the cashless system to stop terrorists, terrorists financing terror. Oh dear, eh? <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I mean, you got to laugh or you'd cry, wouldn't you? you got to laugh. It really is beautiful, this, this. They create the wars, you know darn well there's going to be massive fallout. Then they encourage the immigration from the countries being bombing. Uh, knowing a certain percentage will definitely be rather, rather peeved. Peeved, a good old word that. You get rather peeved. Uh, it's better than the usual Hollywood stuff that's always bodily functions like pee off, you know. Peeved is different. It's more genteel, you might say. But you're still rather ticked off, you might say, about things uh, that are, this made you awfully unhappy. Hmm? So they bring in the folk, they're going to be a good percentage, they're awfully unhappy. Uh, especially when your reality is getting blown up and things like that. Like it tends to do that to people. And and, and then they, they use them as an excuse to change your currency system into what they've always planned to do, the cashless society, so they can monitor everybody. Oh, terrorism's awfully handy, isn't it? To get so many things, so many things pushed through by the masters of the world. So this goes on to say here that um, uh, in this context, the relevance of potential upper limits to cash payments could also be explored. 
Several member states have in place prohibitions for cash payments above a specified threshold. A number of member states already have or have had in place restrictions to cash payments as a measure to combat crime. (laughs) That's just amazing, eh? (laughs) Your government's print up millions and put across the planet to pay for their particular form of criminals activity and so on. Uh, but, but oh, oh dear, dear, isn't this such a joke? In its conclusions on the fight against terrorism, the Economic and Financial Affairs Council of 12th of February 2016 called on the Commission to explore the need for appropriate restrictions on cash payments exceeding a certain, certain thresholds. And then other initiatives stemming from the action plan to strengthen the fight against terrorism and financing. Particularly the proposal for an amendment to the Anti-Money Laundering Directive, called COM 2016-450, which introduced stricter transparency rules and other measures targeted specifically at terrorism financing. Furthermore, the initiative should be seen in conjunction with the ECB's decision of 4th May to discontinue the production of the, the, the EUR, that's the Euro 500 banknote. See, again, just like India, isn't that interesting? It's coincidence, though, that the high, high uh, banknotes uh, uh, are to discontinue making them. That's just coincidence. Uh, you'll all believe that, too. And stop the issuance of this denomination by around 2018 to address concerns that these notes could be used in financing illicit activities. Hmm. This initiative is uh, complementary to the amendments to the Anti-Money Laundering Directive and shares the action plan's objective of bearing effect. Who writes this rubbish? Eh? You ever wonder about these people? Well, like, should, shouldn't they get a life or you know get a sense? You know, be human. They're, they're like, so, such such bureaucraties nonsense, isn't it? of bearing effect in a short and medium-term future. Therefore, any measure restricting cash payments would become complementary to the specific actions addressed. So they want to restrict cash payments. There you go. Existing rules apply in the union and closely connected fields include the following instruments. They tell you here. Third anti-money laundering directive covering dealers and high-value goods such as works of art. <laughs> what a joke that is, since that's a monopoly of a couple of families own. Precious stones or auctioneers, which requires that they apply customer due diligence measures, identification of customers, and keeping records of transactions when receiving cash payments of 15,000 euros or more. I'd love to know how many euros they which they naturally would, they would charge in American dollars to pay, you know, their help across the Middle East, just like the U.S. has paid Al Qaeda or all the different names they want to give ISIS and ISIL and yada yada, which is all the same thing, for years and years and years. Uh, Every really is sad, isn't it? That doesn't matter how old or young you are, you're all treated like children, huh? And facts don't matter because even when you find out all the rackets and, they, and they're admitted to once in a blue moon, they go right back to pretending they never published the truth. It's just, I really do. Uh, you really want honesty and transparency and from government, folks? You're given a Hollywood production. That's what you're given on, on government, especially in the, in the US and Canada. It really is amazing. It's amazing, yeah. We've got free trade everywhere, been here for years. All the factories in the States and in Canada just moved to China. 
under the, the GATT and uh, the free trade agreements and so on, GATT, etc. And we paid to move the big companies and factories over there with our tax money. They didn't ask you permission for that. They didn't ask you permission if you minded all your, your work and so on and so on and you moved to China. That's the reality of the world you live in. For all you people who go off and vote for the same people who did it to you before. What's that old saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, you're getting shamed so many, many times, basically, because you keep doing it. And no one, no one really is ticked off about it. You don't know how many people lost their jobs over the... I can remember it. I lived through it in Canada. I lived through the, 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 the time when everything suddenly in all the stores... From tools to everything but made in China, made in China. Same old names on the companies, all uprooted and gone. And they're even paid by our tax money for any losses under those agreements, these free trade agreements, that they, uh, that they may have incurred uh, for 15 years after setting up their companies in China. Rackets, 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 eh? And people still think, because they've still got some kind of service industry now, just pass things around that you import, that we're doing okay. But they're all juggling credit cards now, all of them, to try and survive. Quite some, isn't it? But your masters know it all too. They know what they're doing to you. And they've got all their different, uh, all the, the stages of the future are planned out with their think tanks already. Way beyond two, 2030. <laughs> Quite some, isn't it? To, to live in this planned system and they announce it at the time, oh, it's just this, it went south or this went wrong, blah, blah, you know. That's how it's presented to the public. And yet it takes years and years and years of planning for any singular thing that I'm talking about tonight or in the past. Years and years and years and years of secretive planning to get anything ready, including all the free trade stuff. Including all the corporations that had private meetings over the years to hammer out their deals so the taxpayers would pay all what they would claim would be their losses or their costs to move. And were you who paid for it all consulted? Nope. Were you told why the unemployment just suddenly skyrocketed? Everyone's getting laid off when the factories all shut down to move? Nope. And here's the same liars demanding they get more transparency with all your data so they can share it all amongst themselves. Same people, folks. Think about it. Think about it. Mind you, I can't, I can't give you righteous indignation. I think most folk have lost the ability today. I think the idea of well-being through technotronics and various drugs and, and the aerial spraying, by the way, is having its toll. It's working very well for those who rule the world. That's what it seems to be from my point of view. Well, from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada... This good night. May your God, your gods, go with you.